Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming, action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. The 48-Hour Film Project is a long-running event that lets filmmaking teams write, shoot, and edit an entire short in one weekend. There are workshops going on now to help people get started, and I'll have a link to it on the page for this podcast at tvjerry.com. There's one particular scene where the shopkeeper in the scene with uh, young Luke Skywalker comes in with his uncle Owen. That creature is being puppeteered by me. (laughs) That was Andrea Detweiler talking about manipulating a puppet head for the Star Wars series Obi-Wan Kenobi. Andrea has been involved with puppets since graduating from VCU. She's worked on projects for Sesame Street, Jim Henson Studios, and several new Star Wars series. In contrast, there's a Guar connection. Stay tuned for that and more. Sifter Review of the Week. Jury Duty on Freevee, which is a free subsidiary of Amazon Prime Video. This series starts with an interesting premise set around a court case in an actual courthouse. Ronald Gladden, who thought he was volunteering to be in a documentary about the jury process, is actually the only person on the show who is not an actor. Everyone else has a basic scenario that they improv around him. Adding to the amusement is James Marsden, playing an exaggerated egocentric version of himself as one of the jurors. All of this blends together in a mildly funny but definitely eccentric extended version of Punked. Where it really shines is Gladden's innate sweet charm and leadership ability, which comes full strength when he finds out the truth. The other cast members are creating unique characters, and Marsden isn't afraid of poking fun of himself. This series isn't hilarious, but it's got sufficient quirky appeal to make it the first big hit for Freebie. I gave Jury Duty three and a half out of five stars. So, Andrea Detweiler, welcome to Sifter for the Ear. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. So you started, I know you started as a costumer, and then you eventually, of course, as I mentioned in the introduction, ended up with puppets. How did you decide to say, I'm going to be a costumer? That came out of kind of not knowing what direction I wanted to head in while at VCU. I started there in 87 mm-hmm. uh, as an undeclared, I don't know, liberal arts major. And I took a class, a speech class. And um In that speech class, I discovered that you can seek a degree at VCU in the theater department that would allow you to teach speech, English, and theater on a high school or elementary school level. I was uncertain about the teaching part of it. (laughs) And so I auditioned and was accepted in the theater education program at VCU. Um, I was taking the prerequisite courses, and I was taking costume design uh, with Liz. Footnote. Elizabeth Art Liz Hopper is a costumer and former head of costuming for theater at VCU. And it was really out of left field, the costume angle of things. And then, uh, yeah, I loved it. So before we get into the puppets, well, you're still doing costuming, right? Uh, Yeah. Are you strictly puppets now? Uh, Mostly puppets. Um, What I ended up sort of specializing in it over the years were walk-arounds. So basically a human in a large puppet or specialty creature or something of the sort. So I did learn to make hand puppets um, over the years of working for the Jim Henson Company. So how did you get from just being a costume designer to suddenly, hey, I'm working with puppets? When you study costume design, you think there's going to be all these costume design jobs out there. (laughs) Oh, not a lot of people actually do that. And so I supplemented my degree working at King's Dominion in the summers and started as a costumer, like a dresser, actually, a dresser for the live show. My daughter, Shenandoah. 
I know. She and I work together. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. I continued to do seasons there as a costumer. After I graduated from VCU, doing the assistant to the wardrobe supervisor position. And the gentleman who was uh, heading up the program of the walk-around characters and the maintenance and refurbishment of those had stepped down. And I was talked to my supervisor. I said, so how does a person get that job? Yeah. Yeah. The interest in just the Fred and Barney Rubbles of the world. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I learned how to um, pattern foam, the various materials used, how to dye foam. And then later that summer, I... Um, discovered through my supervisor that there was a position open in Minneapolis, Minnesota, working for V Corporation at the time, building Sesame Street Live uh, that continues to tour to this day. Wow. Now, let me ask you this before we go into that, because I awfully want to talk about that, because I remember seeing those walk-arounds at KD and other places. How do they keep comfortable? In the, there must be a little, do they put little fans in them, I think, or what? Yes. So there are a variety of methods to keep the performer cool. The main one is to just restrict their time out in the sun. And I think at King's Dominion, they had a very specialized, depending on the degrees of the day, like, okay, if it's a 70 degree day, you have a 20 minute walk. If it's a 95 degree day, you have a 10 minute walk with Uh certain breaks. And then there's always somebody walking with you. So if you feel like you're starting to have, you know, heat related illness, then they can take you back. A lot of costumes do have fans in them sometimes those like chili necks or right. a cool like they've gotten really advanced sophisticated yeah yeah cooling systems absolutely yeah <laughs> so you went to work on sesame street live what was that like and what did you do exactly yes so i went out there thinking i was just going to have a summer employment for overhire and that led to a two and a half year job that this company did a lot of work outside of just sesame live so i mostly worked in the craft department So I did a lot of like more, I would say, structural and fabrication style work. So I was, you know, using big sheets of ABS plastic and vacuum forming heads and learning how to use different solvents. So it was a really, really, really great place to be for those years. And I'm so thankful that that job came along when it did. Surprise guest drop in. You were just talking about fabricating and stuff. And there's somebody who's surprised to drop in to say hello. Hey, Andrea. Hey, you got to give me more than hey, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a smartphone. It's Bob. It's Bob Gorman. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Footnote. Bob Gorman is an artist and illustrator who's worked fabricating the characters for Richmond's notorious thrash metal art band Guar since 1988. The only person left without a smartphone. Yeah, she was actually, <laughs> ironically, it was perfect timing because she was just talking about learning to fabricate for the first time for Sesame Street. Now, obviously, Guar's a little different from Sesame Street. So how do the two of you know each other? Oh, Lord. Oh, uh, VCU. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I met him at the Punk Rock Tree in Schaefer Court. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a very social time, so people were just sitting around and would start talking. I think I was uh, doing something stupid. Andrea always wants to embarrass me with uh, the board game I, I found yes. in a box of uh, cereal. Yes. <laughs> Your crispy critters board game. I remember. It. Yeah. So did y'all ever get to do any design work together? Well, sort of. I mean, like I dropped out and I was already making stuff out of foam. And I think I made a giant marshmallow for I brought you in on the marshmallow that's... job. It was at that's the right. theater. It was a Christmas show with a big marshmallow. <laughs> I think it was the first time I'd used a couple of materials. So we just kind of figured it out together. So that was, yeah, I think I had done a little more soft sculpting, but I still hadn't really 
done it that way with patterning. So I think we kind of learned on that together a little bit, if I'm not. You gave me a few guar bits to repair. And yeah, there were a lot of things that Bob and I kind of sort of figured out together. So Bob, what did she bring to the table that made it better? Actually being taught how to actually do things like patterning. We'd sort of, we would just take chunks of foam and kind of hack into them. Uh, but actually learning that you you can do it like kind of like a dressmaker pattern and make the shapes and then just glue the edge. So I think that's something that we sort of did on the on the marshmallow and then just knowing how to sew. I don't know. Both approaches are great, but I find that sometimes my education in how to do things can sometimes put a pause on just diving into something and being more creative about it. Yeah. Yeah. So Bob, is there anything else you want to tell us about working with Andrea? I know you said you stayed in touch all these years. Well, it's weird because I have toured most of my adult life and Andrea kind of got into touring a little late and I was really surprised and impressed that, you know, she had done the Sesame Street stuff for so long. And then when that sort of went away for a minute, I think you, you got into the walking with dinosaurs. And then we ended up bumping into each other, uh, you know, all over the world. Before, like when she first got the job at Sesame Street, uh, we were on tour and I ran into her in Minneapolis a couple of times. But then once she started touring with dinosaurs, I'd run into her all over the world. So, it was, um, yeah, that's, it's been really great being able to keep in touch with, with a few people from back, you know, 30 some years ago. And Andrea is one of them. Well, Bob, I want to thank you for dropping in to give Andrea a little surprise here. That's a huge surprise. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, thanks for inviting me. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your podcast and big fan of Andrea. So I'm going to be in Richmond next month. So I hope you're there, Bob. <laughs> yeah, thanks, you know. Jerry. Thanks, Andrea. I'll see you later. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. So after the tour with Sesame Street Live, what's next? I left Minneapolis and went to New York. As soon as I landed in New York, I went straight to Henson. Footnote. Henson is short for Jim Henson, the famous creator of the Muppets. Because they knew me from the years of working with Sesame Live. And I met uh, Tim Miller and Connie Peterson, and they did my interview, and they said, we know your work, we would love to have you. But <laughs> I was like, oh, no, yeah. they said, you know, we're we're not building anything right now. We have two shows that are filming. One is in Wilmington, uh, North Carolina, and the other is out in Kaufman, Astoria. And so we just don't have the work here. So there went the like, oh, I'm going to move right to New York and get a job with Henson. Sure. It took a year. <laughs> How long were you there and what exactly did you do for the workshop? Uh, when I first uh, landed there, I was doing a lot of their walk around characters. So uh, walk around puppets in that sense are not really like you'd see at King's Dominion. They are a person is in it, but they've got their hand like Big Bird, their hand right. up in the head and they're puppeteering from above. So, yeah, so I started building those for international programming and then Bear from Bear in the Big Blue House. I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but... Footnote. Bear in the Big Blue House is a Disney TV series for preschoolers. Bob mentioned dinosaurs. What was that? So in 2009, on the heels of that first or the first writer's strike that I've experienced, which were 
looking at another one. You got another one. Um, I had lost, didn't lose, but was laid off from Henson. I was a project to project based employee anyway. So it wasn't like I was a staff member. I just, they they just didn't have work. And I got a call from a friend of mine who said, Hey, there's this touring show. They're about to launch a European tour and they're looking for people to replace people that are going on to that show, the European one. And it was in what they called the skins department. And boy, did that change my career as well. That was another very, very significant life decision. In what way? I feel like that job had a lot to do with how I wound up doing two Star Wars shows recently. Uh, I also met my husband on that job. (laughs) So that was big. (laughs) He was a carpenter at the time. And now um, he's been touring all over the world with a variety of different acts. So he's he's done really well. Now, before we go any further, explain to us the skins department. What exactly does that mean? So that meant that the dinosaurs, which were 35 feet tall and had to travel to different cities. So right. you couldn't put a 35 foot dinosaur into a truck. On the load in, they would come off the truck and the engineers would build the structure. And then because of that, things like all the soft fabrics uh, had to come out from underneath or off their legs, the things that had to be packed in a certain way. So then we would go in on load-in day and put all that back together. There was one point where it said you were a puppet wrangler for Kermit on Extreme Makeover. (laughs) So what exactly is the wrangler doing if they're not, I mean, you're just making sure they're clean and everything's right and their costumes, if they have any, are on? Exactly. And if there's a mark on their eye or say they need to hold something, you have to come up with a way that the puppeteer and the puppet can hold it. We're there to pack and unpack and change costumes. And so on a movie, you you need a crew of people to be there for that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of movies, uh, Happy Time Murders, Muppet Most Wanted. How are those to work on? Muppets, the Jason Siegel movie was in. That's Happy Time. No, Happy Time was a separate, it was- That was with uh, Melissa McCarthy. Yes, and that was done in 2017, I want to say, and Mm -hmm. that's kind of a buddy cop- Right, right. Puppets, underbelly kind of adult film. (laughs) Wasn't very good either. You can't say that. I can't (laughs) say one, my opinion remains- my opinion. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so what was Jason's? Was that Muppets Most Wanted? Jason Segel played a character whose brother uh, realizes that, I mean, he's a big Muppet fan, and then he winds up joining the Muppet team. Right, uh, right, right. And then the follow-up to that was that whole team goes on a caper in uh, in Europe, and that was the Muppets Most Wanted. And that had Tina Fey. That was, a, that was fun. That was a fun one to do. What were you doing on that? Wrangling a puppet again? Wrangling. Yep. Right, right. Yep. So I guess in some ways that's less exhausting because I know a puppeteer, you got to hold that those arms up in the air a lot. Yes. You're yes. just on the side looking, making sure the eyeballs don't have any dirty marks in them. Not to discount any of the hard work the puppeteers <laughs> do, but Miss Piggy isn't in every shot of the day, but the Wranglers are there for every shot of the day. Oh, that's true. Good point. Good point. So what are some of the other memorable experiences that you've had? I mean, they've sent me to Guatemala with a polar bear for coca-cola they've sent me to training in like belgium and then walking with dinosaurs took me all around the world and when we did how to train your dragon live it went to china as a sit-down performance so i was in beijing for like two months and and then who knew that i'd meet my husband on a dinosaur tour and (laughs) (laughs) that was through a prop master who i had worked with on a lot of muppet productions. I mean, we did our first Muppet project together in 2002. I had been back in LA working on uh, the reboot of Fraggle Rock. I got a call and he said, hey, Andrea, what are you doing? Uh, What do you 
think about working on a project that uh, Lucasfilm is involved in? And I'm like, what? A Lucasfilm project? I was like, uh, yeah, okay. Hell yeah. Let Let me know what it is. They think they just want you to assess some of the assets that have been shipped to us. And we have this conversation where I'm under the understanding that I'm coming in and just going to assess what they've got and then probably just wrangle again on set, the creatures. Because these were all assets that came from uh, films that were already shot in the UK. Which shows exactly was this? So I worked on Obi-Wan Kenobi for Disney Plus, and I just finished Skeleton Crew, which has not aired yet. What challenges do animatronics present? Soft puppets that Sesame Street uses. Um, we had animatronics in some of the, some of those. Like we we had like a Elmo would ride a bicycle, and that required the animatronic Elmo or the rats and the Muppets. They were we had a lot of them that were animatronic, um, but these were all like big foam latex heads or silicone heads with motors just covering the skull cap on the inside. Well, I had to bring in a animatronic specialist to come in and, and program everything. But, um, you know, once you start to learn that, then you understand like how the motors are put in, how the levers are put in. And then you can see like the vision. Cause I mean, I could look at an animatronic creature on a star Wars show and think it's a human in that, or think it's real because the advancements in it are just stellar and the skill that the people who do them are amazing. So, and do they ever blend CGI with the live puppet? Yes. And I, I actually think that's a great idea, especially with eyes. There'll be a lot of the latex heads that don't have animatronics in them that they will add in post like eye movement. That definitely helps enhance the character. So what about Fraggle Rock? How was that? Oh, that's great. The reboot is great. I rebuilt Junior Gorg. So that was uh, my project. And I don't know who that is. For those of you listening that know who Junior Gorg is, he's the big kind of oafish son of Ma and Pa Gorg. (laughs) Ah, okay. And what did you have to do? You had to rebuild him? Was he broken or worn out? uh, He just, the one that they had built in the 80s just was, yeah, it didn't last Slumberkins? That's something new. That's just aired on Apple Plus. Slumberkins is a show that was based on two women in Vancouver created a series of books with accompanying stuffed animals to basically have a conversation about varying emotions that children can encounter and not know really how to proceed. Right. And it's funny, those two women, I saw their episode of Shark Tank <laughs> before I even <laughs> ended up getting involved in this. So that was a puppet series that I did not build, but I did, did do the lead wrangling on. Um, and Skeleton Crew, which is coming out shortly. What exactly is that? And what was your part on that one? Uh, again, I was specialty creature supervisor, which is the position I also had on Obi-Wan. So it was um, basically bringing in creature performers to wear the animatronic and non-animatronic heads. And um, I don't know how much information is out there on on it. So okay. You, you got to be careful yeah. with Lucasfilm. I'm I sure. know. <laughs> I can tell you what I know is that it, it does start Jude Law. And um, yeah. Are there some interesting new technologies that are around? I know we talked about animatronics, obviously, but are there some other things that are kind of cool that are in the world of puppetry? I think materials. I think 3D printing has added such an amazing, like an ability to to like cut time like out of project. Like uh, 3D printing is fantastic. And, and it's incredibly accurate. And it really, I've worked on a couple projects recently where 3D printing was 
primarily what was used in building the um, the puppet. Uh, I did one project recently for a documentary about there's a haunted doll in the Keys, Florida Keys in Key West named Robert. Okay. <laughs> and they did a documentary about Robert the doll and we replicated Robert the doll and he was basically fully 3D printed, as were the puppets for the Moschino fashion show right out of COVID. They did a full marionette fashion show. I remember reading about that. You didn't work on that fashion show, did you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you did? Well, what did you do on that? And what was that like? I was in tandem with the assistant to Jeremy Scott, who was the artistic director of Moschino at the time. I helped dress these marionettes and restring these marionettes with a team of people. And uh, I guess that's a challenge, getting those clothes on over all those strings. You had to run the strings through and then reattach them to the mechanisms at the top. Yeah. Right, what right. an incredible piece of art, though. That vision and that show, and it was perfect replicas of those absolutely stunning garments that were made. Like, it just, just was beautiful. <laughs> do you know if there's a YouTube of that? Because I could put a link yeah. on it. Yeah, I can actually send you that link. Yeah, dude, that'd be great. I'll, I'll put that on there. So that'd be great to have. So when you're not sitting there watching a puppet, what do you watch at home? What do you like to hang out with? I watch Seinfeld reruns way too often. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the Star Wars series. I, I loved Mandalorian. Andor is fantastic. Uh, so I've been watching the Guillermo del Toro Cabinet of Curiosities lately, the uh, horror anthology. That was kind of uneven. Some of them were better it, than others. Yeah, I haven't finished it. Some were a little too like other things that I've seen, like they 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 were formulaic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tend to. I haven't seen a lot of everyone's favorites. I haven't watched Succession or. Oh, okay. Well, it's good. It's fun. <laughs> you just worked on Five Nights at Freddy's. What's that about? That is based on a video game. Uh, but it is a horror movie. I think a lot of it's been announced, or at least it's been announced when it's going to be released. But I really can't say much about this one. Oh, but darn. we were Jim Henson Company built the so they're basically like Chuck E. Cheese animatronics that do something bad. Yes, exactly. You talked. We talked about CGI a little bit. So, what is the difference between having a puppet on a set? as opposed to having a tennis ball they look at and then they, they CGI it in later. What's interesting is quite often that tennis ball is actually a motion capture puppet. So we've built puppets for solely motion capture so that there's something that the actor right. can interact Like the with. arm of the monster or exactly. a head, that kind of thing. Yeah, I've read yes. about that from some movies doing that. So quite often there is something standing in there. It's probably just a big blob of foam or it's or it is detailed enough where you you or actor can can interact with it and then everything's being motion captured. I think if you're using puppetry with the system, which I think a lot of uh what the Jim Henson company has done with their HDPS system, that is puppeteering animation in real time. So you actually have a system that allows you to eye blink and move the mouth and do the things that a puppet would do, but it's a digital animation. So you're moving the digital image. Oh, wow. So that, yeah. And I think there's been a lot more advancements in that, not just with Henson, but with across the board, the technology is out there. Kind of like when you look at your phone and you can now like oh, make faces like a frog or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Oh, yep. cool, cool. Yep. So do you ever get to actually puppeteer or are you strictly on the other side of it? For the majority of my career, I have strictly been on the other side of it. I 
have though, because of the animatronics with, with Star Wars, I have, because that job of manipulating the character is under the realm of SAG puppeteer. I have puppeteered faces. I've also been inside of some of our creatures. Oh, cool. So I've been a suit performer, which is a blast. (laughs) And I guess you can tell us who you were. In Obi-Wan, I was a number of background characters and like the faces I operated. There's one particular scene where the bartender is, he's like the shopkeeper in the scene with a, a young Luke Skywalker comes in with his uncle Owen and uh, that creature working the um, for the the store clerk, yeah, his face is being puppeteered by me. <laughs> so obviously, one of the things that's known about all those Star Wars movies, you go into the, the classic cantina scene. You've got twenty different weird looking aliens. Are they all puppets? I mean, obviously they're human beings under there, but are they being puppeted at all, or are they just no? Strictly- there are quite a few that are just what we call a pullover mask or prosthetics um, right. to make them look like creatures. In those cantina scenes, it's mostly people in masks. And there's a great uh, story behind the original masks were just like, they just didn't have enough creatures in that first Star Wars, A New Hope. And they ran out, got some, you know, gorilla masks and (laughs) threw them in the background. (laughs) Right, right. Huh. I didn't know that. Back in 1977, they wouldn't have added eyeballs, but they would have just had people and, you know latex heads. Now they may add eyeballs or just the advancements, especially with animatronics. I think we really started. Well, if you take Star Wars, it's a good example of how technology has moved from completely analog in the Star Wars movies, little 3D models. And then when you had the next three, the the, uh, Phantom Menace through that series, the parts one through three, you've got all of the digital animation now and they're digitally enhancing everything it's digital 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 right and then you move into that third realm which is the end of the the series all of those now you're you're seeing the the marriage of both of those you're seeing the actual like practical puppets mixed with the enhancements of digital and i you can see the growth in how those movies have you know evolved into marrying the two in a way that's i think most successful Andrea, I want to thank you so much for this. It's been delightful to catch up with you and to hear about all these puppets and what's coming soon. So thank you so much. I know. Thanks, Sherry. Andrea Detweiler has been working with puppets her entire career, including Sesame Street, The Muppets, and some Star Wars series. There's a link to the Machina Fashion Show and others on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. Hypnotic. Ben Affleck plays a detective looking for his missing daughter, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Knights of the Zodiac. Athena, goddess of war, is reincarnated in the body of a young woman, and a young man is charged to protect her and save the world. Fool's Paradise. Charlie Day wrote, directed, and stars actually co-stars with himself as a mute man who becomes the double for a method actor. Blackberry. Remember those cute devices? This is yet another tech origin story, this time about the world's first smartphone. TV and streaming. The Great on Hulu returns for season three with more Russian court intrigue and cussing. Rain Wilson and the Geography of Bliss on Peacock. Wilson is the host of yet another travel show. The Mother on Netflix. Jennifer Lopez plays an assassin who comes out of hiding to protect her daughter. Carter on Disney. A boy whose father has died grows up on a lunar mining colony. 
Call Me Kate on Netflix, a documentary about Katherine Hepburn using previously unheard tapes. The Muppets Mayhem on Disney. The puppets try to record their first record album. Class of 09 on Hulu. FBI agents from that class reunite after the death of a mutual friend. The Locksmith on Hulu. Ryan Felipe plays a thief out of prison who tries to connect with his daughter and his ex-fiancee. You know you can subscribe to this podcast on all the usual platforms, or you can go to tvjerry.com, click on the podcast tab, and there's a link. Notice to my podcast listeners, I'll be on vacation for the next two weeks, so there'll not be a new sifter for the year. The next new show will drop on May 31st. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.